Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church's Easter Resurrection Sunday celebration. And it's with great joy that we proclaim with our lives and with our lips, He is risen. He is risen indeed, was the early church's response. And this morning, I want to welcome you. If you're a guest here for the first time, I want you to know that we're not gathered here somehow to commemorate the life of a great man. Though his life was great. This isn't like President's Day or maybe Martin Luther King Day. Those are appropriate celebrations of great men and great people that have served our country, but they're dead. We're not here to commemorate Jesus. We're here to worship Jesus because he is alive. Amen? Now that may be a foreign concept to you. That may be something that you're questioning How can he be alive if historically I know that Jesus was crucified on the cross over 2,000 years ago? Because this is our faith. Because there were over 500 witnesses to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. And because that's what God's word, what we're about to study, teaches us. As a matter of fact, the title of this morning's message is, Worship the Risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Worship the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who or what do you worship? Some of you might be thinking, all right, Al, wait a second. Are we like in a a twilight zone here? What are you talking about? Worship. There isn't some like idol that I construct outside and bow down before this idol. No, there's not. But here's here's another way to ask that question. What do you or who do you value the most? That's the idea behind worship. Okay? So what are you willing to give everything for? What do you value so much that you're going to give your time and your money and your attention and your efforts to get? Are you with me? So, who or what do you worship? Maybe it's peace in your home. Maybe it's finances. You want to get that bank account up to a certain number. Those of you who have taken the Financial Peace University course, you want that emergency fund at a certain point. Maybe it's acceptance. Maybe it's acceptance by your family if you're estranged. Maybe it's acceptance by a school. You're trying to get into a graduate program, into an undergraduate program. Maybe it's vindication. You want to be right. You were wronged in that situation, and no one's acknowledged just how badly you were wrong. You want justice. Maybe it's health. You just want to be healthy. You want to defeat this cancer that is racking your body. Perhaps it's a mind that is no longer racked with anxiety. You feel like you're literally losing it. You want that. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a career. A career that will provide for you and your family. You might be surprised to know that none of these things, though many of them are very admirable and they're worthy things to pursue, but none of these things in and of themselves have ultimate value. They're all worthy, many of them are worthy goals, but they do not have ultimate value because none of them, none of them can satisfy the purpose for which you were created. You see, the Bible 
teaches us that every one of us was created to value God above everyone and everything else. The way the Bible states that is, we were created to worship God. In the biblical account of creation, in the Garden of Eden, man and woman were created to worship God and to image or reflect His glory throughout all of creation. But something happened in the garden. What happened in the garden is that we transferred our worship. We made other things more valuable than God. It's called rebellion. It's called idolatry. It's called making something or someone more valuable in our eyes than God. And typically it starts with making ourselves more valuable. Forget about worshiping God. We want to be God. That was the original sin. I value me more than you. And at that moment, man experienced a break in that ability to value God above him, to worship God as he deserves, and to image God's glory. And from that moment on, something called death came in because we broke with God. And ever since, man has experienced death. And ever since, you have wars and rumors of wars. And I'm not just talking about between countries. I'm talking about between you and your spouse this morning as you were getting ready for church. Combat, warfare, a lack of peace, hurting one another, taking advantage of one another, injustice, racism, sexism, everything you can imagine, all the things that destroy us, that humiliate us, that bring shame upon us, the things we do to others, and we think, how could I have said that? How could I have done that? Or the things done to us. Some of you have experienced horrible abuse. All of that is born of mankind refusing to value God according to how he deserves to be valued above all. Refusing to worship God. And so this morning, from the Psalms, from Psalm 16 and Psalm 110, we hear God's clarion call, worship the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Worship the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. I can tell you this, friend. To the degree you value God properly, to that degree you will enjoy life fully. To the degree that you value God properly, to that degree you will enjoy life fully. And anything else is subhuman and you will not find true fulfillment and joy. Period. That is what the Bible teaches. That is what we experience as human beings. Until we find ultimate worth and value in God and give Him that value and worth that is His, our souls will be restless and dissatisfied. We will be flailing at the wind. We will be like on a roller coaster. Some days everything's great. We got the career we want. We have the spouse we want. We've got the home we want. And everything's great. And the next day the stock market crashes, metaphorically speaking, and we lose it all. And even when we have it all, we realize that's not enough. There are some who, in the midst of a great marriage, look elsewhere. There are some in the midst of having it all, 
can't resist doing that thing which destroys it all. It's called sin. It's called not valuing God as He is worth being valued. And there is a solution. It's the reason Jesus came. It's the reason He died on the cross. It's the reason He rose from the dead. It's the reason He reigns now in the heavenlies. And it is this. It is to worship the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. That's the main point. And it comes to us through these two psalms. And we're going to read these psalms in just a moment. But before we do, let me set set the stage for you. So the two psalms that we're going to look at, Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11, and Psalm 110, verse 1, were used in a sermon 2,000 years ago, some 50 days after Jesus was crucified. And some 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. So if you're a guest here this morning, thank you for coming. But what I'm reviewing for you is at the core of Christianity. So Christians believe that some 2,000 years ago, around A.D. 33, Jesus Christ willingly went onto the cross, was crucified in shame, naked, six hours on the cross. The way he probably died was he asphyxiated. He, he couldn't breathe anymore. And he died. At around three in the afternoon. And right before he died, he said, it is finished. And what we believe is on that cross, Jesus took the punishment for our sin, for not valuing God as he deserved. And then three days later, the day we're celebrating right now, Jesus rose from the dead by the power of God. And God's saying, I accept that sacrifice of God the Son on the cross and God the Father by God the Holy Spirit. Raised Jesus from the dead. And then Jesus walked around on this earth for 40 days. Over 500 people saw him. It is a historical fact. And then he ascended into heaven. And 10 days after he ascended into heaven is when Psalm 16 and Psalm 110 are going to be given in a sermon, the first sermon of the church by the Apostle Peter, to thousands of people gathered at the Temple Mount, or at the Temple in Jerusalem. So they're gathered in Jerusalem, they're Jews, They they have faith in a Messiah. They've heard that Jesus is that Messiah, but they had no concept that the Messiah must first suffer on a cross and die for the sins of his people. But they now have heard that he's raised from the dead. They've heard that he's walked around for 40 days. They've heard that he's ascended into heaven. And now God the Father and God the Son have sent forth God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit comes and fills the believers and the followers of Christ. And Peter stands up and he preaches a message where he quotes Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. And you know what Peter's message is? Worship the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And we're not going to turn there this morning, but you'll find that message in Acts chapter 2. So if you want to study some Christian history... Read Acts chapter 2 in this message and ask a Christian to explain it to you. I invite you to do that, to learn about the Christian religion. But in the message, Peter stands up and he says this to these over probably 5,000 people. He says, good morning. (laughs) What you're seeing happening right here is a work of God Because he raised from the dead this Jesus whom you crucified. Remember, this is Jerusalem. Jesus was crucified right outside of Jerusalem. 
And he's talking to the very leaders and people who said crucify Jesus Christ some 50 days earlier. And Peter is saying, what you're seeing is God raising this Jesus from the dead. And this Jesus who was raised from the dead is now seated at the right hand of God as Lord of Lords. And then what Peter says is worship the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. And to do that, he quotes Psalm 16. So point one, worship the risen Lord Jesus. Let's read Psalm 16 on the screen there. Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Verse 10, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, this psalm was written by King David some 1,000 years earlier. You can keep the psalm up there, please. Verses 10 to 11. It was written by King David some 1,000 years earlier. And Peter, when he's preaching his message in around A.D. 33, Psalm was written in about 1,000 B.C., Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit, says, Listen, David was not speaking of himself when he says, You will not allow abandon my soul to Sheol. Do you see that in verse 10? Or let my body see corruption. That's just a, a euphemism for death. David wasn't speaking of himself because David, now imagine you're standing listening to Peter. This is the temple back in around 33 AD. David's tomb was right over there. Peter is preaching here. All the people are listening to him. And literally David's tomb as a king, he was buried in the temple. He says, because David's tomb is right over there. But he says, David being a prophet was speaking of Jesus Christ, whom God raised from the dead. Worship this risen Lord Jesus. And and God is saying the same thing to us today. Now, we don't have David's tomb right here. But I can tell you, David wasn't speaking of himself in verse 10 when he said, my soul will not see corruption. You will not abandon me to Sheol. David was speaking of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. And God is calling us to worship this risen Lord Jesus. So now you're going to ask me, all right, Al, what does that look like? What does it look like to worship the risen Lord Jesus? Well, it looks like two things. The first one is in Christ you dwell securely. On the screen, in Christ you dwell securely. When you read Psalm 16, it speaks of Christ's soul being raised from the dead. It speaks of Christ dwelling securely. And what that is saying to us is that we worship the one who has delivered our soul from death as believers. On Friday night, Corey preached this. Jesus was forsaken on the cross so that we would never be forsaken, either in life, and then Corey stepped here and he pointed to the grave, nor in death. So a Christian will not be forsaken. His soul will not be abandoned. He dwells securely in Christ in death and in life. Now, 
If you're not a Christian, may I respectfully tell you that there is no security for your soul, either in life and certainly not in death, because you will face the God whom you fail to value as the greatest of all, and you will be judged, and you will be thrown into Sheol or hell. And I respectfully appeal to you to repent and believe in Jesus who was judged on the cross, who was forsaken so that we, those who place our faith in him, would never be forsaken. And dear Christian, so for you to worship the risen Lord Jesus, repent of your sins, agree with God about who you are and place your faith in Jesus. And we would love to explain that to you or those who you came with can explain it to you. But for the vast majority of us here this morning, this is what it looks like to worship the risen Lord Jesus. It it looks like your soul being secure in Christ. And let me see if this illustration helps you. Have you ever been around someone who at the slightest sound, they kind of jump like you're in a restaurant with them and you're, you're having a meal with them and the waiter drops a glass and they dive underneath the table. Or, or the door slams and they just lose it. You see, Christian, sometimes when we fail to truly believe that in Christ we dwell securely, we are super jumpy, irritable, grumpy, hard to live with complaining, fill in the blank. So to worship Jesus who was forsaken so that we would never be forsaken means that we simply breathe in this truth. No matter how my life is going, whether I got accepted or I didn't, whether I have a spouse or I don't, whether my finances are good or not, whether that car that I love so much is now destroyed because of the accident, which wasn't my fault, or not, whether my boss is treating me well or not, whether my children are driving me crazy or not, whether my father is driving me crazy, children, or not, to worship the risen Lord Jesus is to say no matter what's happening, My soul is secure. I don't have to jump every time someone drops a dish at home or slams the door or lose it when the alarm on our refrigerator door goes off. Can you imagine that? They now have alarms on refrigerator doors. So I'll be studying, you know, and someone forgets to close the refrigerator door and the beep goes off. When I'm not worshiping the Lord and I'm worshiping Alpino, it can be like, who left that door open? Dad, relax, man. It's just the door is open. It's the alarm's on, so we don't leave it open and everything defrosts. But that's a picture into my soul. I'm not really worshiping the Lord. I'm worshiping my own will, which oftentimes for me, especially on a Friday or Thursday afternoon, is the sermon that I'm trying to write to preach to you on Sunday that's 3,000 words, and I'm a terrible writer, and it's not going well, and I'm not trusting in the Lord. Are you getting the picture? So when someone leaves the door open and it starts beeping, I lose it. I'm jumpy. I'm not settled into the Lord. Are you getting me here? 
Dear Christian, this is how we worship the Lord. Number one, we, we, we dwell securely in here. But number two, number two is in Christ we find the fullness of joy. In Christ we find the fullness of joy. Because in Psalm 16, the very psalm that Peter is preaching on that first sermon that he preaches back in 33 AD, he quotes Psalm 16 and he says, In him is fullness of joy. Verse 11, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Here's the question. Where do you find fullness of joy? Can you have joy even when you're not getting some of those things that you legitimately need and want? Is the fullness of your joy found in Christ, who is the risen Lord, and because you're worshiping him, or do you have to have X, whatever it is, fill in the blank, for you to be joyful? I'm back now to writing my sermon with the refrigerator door beeping. Or even better, driving behind the person who, if this were possible, is actually sleeping while they're driving. I drove behind that person this morning on my way to church. Pastor man driving to church, smoke coming out of his ears. Like, how can you drive that slowly? And what was hilarious is as I'm driving behind the guy that slowly, I got Junior just coming back from the club, I'm sure, it was on 6.30 in the morning. Went by us at about 150 on a side street, you know. So I got Junior going by me at 150, and I got, you know, someone who's just half asleep. And in that moment, I'm just wanting to get to church to get ready for the service, Lord! We're all laughing, and that betrays us all. But listen, listen. Forget about the silly thing of getting to church on Sunday. What about on the highway to life when the thing you want is being denied you? The respect you crave in your marriage. The peace you would like in your family. You see, it's at that moment I've got to answer the question, whom will I worship What do I value the most? It's not wrong to want respect in your marriage. It's not wrong to to want some financial stability. It's not wrong to want to get accepted into that school. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I value God above all those things, even though I don't get them, there is a measure of joy. I'm not saying I'm happy about it, but there's joy. There's a foundation. I just feel like for some of us, if you're wrestling with depression, I, I... Yes, that can be a chemical imbalance. Yes, that can be some issues there. But it can also be a spiritual imbalance. I'm saying I'm not going to be happy until I get what I want. Am I subtly, functionally putting what I want above God? Now that's a spiritual issue. That's a spiritual issue. Point two. Worship the reigning Lord Jesus. Worship the reigning Lord Jesus. So in Peter's message, now we're back to first century. Peter preaching to three to 5,000 people. It's, it's maybe the morning. It's at the temple. The temple is there. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, it's now just a temple, a wailing wall. But the whole temple's there. He's just finished quoting Psalm 16. He's just finished pointing over to David's tomb and saying, listen, David wasn't talking about himself. He was talking about Jesus because David was a king, but he was also a prophet. And he was saying, Jesus is raised from the dead. And this Jesus, whom you crucified, God raised from the dead. Then he quotes Psalm 110. Put it up on the screen. Psalm 110, verse 1. So Peter now quotes this right here. 
The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So stay with me, all right? It's like one of those sitcoms, right? It starts off with today, and then it goes 10 years earlier, right? And then it goes 15 years before that, right? And then by that time, you're scratching your head, all right? But stay with me. So you got Peter preaching in 33 AD, and he's quoting Psalm 110. But go back with me to 1000 BC. The guy who first wrote that was a guy named King David. And what King David is trying to figure out, because he's a prophet, because God is speaking to him by the Holy Spirit, God said, you will have a son who will be your Lord. What? Yes. I'm going to put a king on your throne who will actually be the savior of all the world, the Messiah, and he will rule and reign forever and ever. He's your son, but he's also your Lord. So now, a thousand years later, God tells Peter, oh, that king is Jesus. That king is the one who died 50 days ago, whom I raised 47 days ago, who ascended into heaven 10 days ago, and is now ruling and reigning at my right hand. It's this guy. And Peter reads that. And they were all Jews. See, you're looking at me like now going, wait a second, let's go back to whatever. But see, they, didn't, they were primed for this. They were Jews. They understood Psalm 110, verse 1. In fact, Psalm 110, verse 1 is the most quoted Old Testament reference in the New Testament. It's pivotal. Jesus is the risen Lord. Jesus is the reigning Lord. Worship Him. Worship Him. See, the the imagery that we see in this text right here is of a king who is using the neck of the vanquished king, of the king who used to be his opponent, of his enemy whom he defeated, using the guy's neck as a footstool. That's what it means when it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for you. Back in 1000 BC, when one king would conquer another king, he would then parade the king of the conquered country into his palace. So imagine David seated, and he would make that king who was just conquered get down on his hands and knees, and then the conquering king would put his feet right on his neck. You know, today we just kind of taunt each other you know, when, we, when we dunk the ball on someone. You know, we give them a little trash talking. Back then, when you were conquered, you literally became, the king literally became the footstool for the conquering king. Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God right now. Having conquered sin and death. Put the next slide up. You see, it starts with sin and death. Worship Jesus, the reigning king, who now reigns over sin and death. Now stay with me for a second. I know what you're saying. I still sin. Yes, you do. And we still die. Yes, we do. My mother died last year, coming up on the one-year anniversary, April 4th, this coming week. Can't believe it's been a year. Teresa died a year ago. But here is the truth. On the cross, according to what the Bible says, Jesus put his enemies to flight. Jesus defeated sin and death. What does that mean? That means that because Jesus died on the cross, as a Christian, we no longer have to sin. The power of sin has been broken. 
that enemy, though defeated, is still hanging around. So we haven't been delivered from the presence of sin. But we have the promise that one day when Jesus comes back, there will be no more sin. Listen, Christian, that is our promise. There'll come a day when we won't have to fight sin anymore. We may have some arguments and disagreements in heaven, maybe. But they won't be sinful. They'll be, they'll be just like, you know, family having fun together this afternoon at Easter. All right, if that wasn't your family, then revise that little picture there. But you understand what I'm saying. There's no sin in heaven. So we've been delivered from the power of sin, but not its presence. But sin is a defeated foe. Jesus took the penalty for our sin to give us his righteousness. And how about death? How about death? Yes, we will experience death. But as a Christian, we have this promise. We sang about it this morning. That when Jesus returns, we will be raised from the dead. We will receive glorified bodies that never die again. And we will live forever and ever with Jesus in a new heavens and the new earth, enjoying his glory. That's the promise. Those two enemies have been defeated the picture here is of jesus the reigning king a warrior a warrior but then that picture goes on in verse 4 of psalm 110 and put that up on the screen where it says the lord has sworn and will not change his mind you are a priest forever after the order of melchizedek now this is a, an unusual passage here this is a picture of not only a king who rules and is a warrior, but of a priest. So what does it mean to worship the reigning Lord Jesus? Well, number one, it means to trust that he's conquered sin and death. But number two, it means that he is interceding for us in the heavenlies as a priest. Jesus, Christian, is reigning in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and the Bible says that he intercedes for us. Now, why, why is that so important? Because there can be times when we're so aware of our sin that we feel so unworthy, that we feel such shame, that we feel like God is mad at us. But Christian, you have someone, a priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, who is seated at the right hand of God the Father, who rules and reigns, who defeated sin and death, promises you his glory. And when you sin, you come to him and he forgives you. He intercedes for you. He knows what it is to be tempted. He knows what it is to be sad, discouraged. Without sin. He was a human being. He never sinned. But he experienced those things. So he is that, that priest that is interceding for us. And finally, what does it mean to worship the reigning Lord Jesus, oh friends? It means that we worship the one who's the judge of all the nations. Psalm 110, verses 5 to 6. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. Jesus is the king who rules on the day of wrath. I don't know about you, but when I listen to rumors of war, when I think about geopolitical situations, there can be times when I'm tempted to anxiety. Oh friend, worship the reigning Lord Jesus. 
Here's the appeal this morning. That we would worship the risen Lord Jesus, the one who has secured us in him, given us the fullness of joy, the one who's conquered sin and death, the one who intercedes for us, and the one who will judge the nations. Church, let us pray. Worship team, would you please join me up front? Lord, I pray that you would give much grace to those listening to my voice right now. Lord, I pray that there would be a call by your Spirit to worship you, risen from the dead, reigning in the heavens. Lord, I thank you that you are the name above all names. Jesus. Lord, may your living presence be so real right now that those who are tempted to anxiety, they would worship you by resting securely in you. Those that perhaps are hearing this truth for the first time would understand by your spirit, even as thousands did that day in AD 33, when they heard these psalms spoken by Peter and they cried out, What must I do to be saved? And Peter simply said, Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Worship the risen and reigning Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, would you give that gift this morning? Right here. Right now. Lord, we worship you. You who are the name above all names. Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, would you stand? And as a prayer, let us sing this song, Name Above All Names. <clears throat>